Good morning, Joy Church. Good to see you guys today. How are you doing today? Felt like a good morning, Mr. Schmelzer. So I recently started a new hobby, and it's a super manly hobby, very masculine, very, you know, manly. It's, uh, I make soap. Um, yes, let the, let the mockers mock and the scorners scorn. I make soap, I make lotions, I make post-shave balms, I make lip balm, I make all of these accoutrements, and uh, I'm, a, I'm an alchemist now, apparently. And I'm in this hobby that I'm, that I'm enjoying very much, uh, and I'm, I'm not embarrassed about it. In case you think I'm telling you this to be vulnerable because I'm embarrassed, I'm not actually, I'm proud of it, excited about it. Uh, Shopify store coming soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, in this hobby, there's all these supplies to buy. You got to buy coconut oil and olive oil and beef tallow and I use lard in some of my soaps and it's not vegan in case you're wondering you know it is animal fat soaps some of them Uh, I make shaving soap all this kind of stuff I get stearic acid and shea butter and all these things and and so I've been I've been getting all of these packages from Amazon and I've discovered this I'm kind of addicted to it I I know what it is but I'm still excited to get it and open it up anybody else know what I'm talking about People want to know, what is the, why, why is it nice to grow up and, you know, your parents used to buy your Christmas presents and all that kind of stuff. And what about being an, an adult is sort of fun, and it's that you get to buy yourself stuff on Amazon. That's basically <laughs> your top out right there. And, uh, and so I'm watching the tracking numbers and all this kind of stuff. And when it comes in, even though I know what it is, I'm excited to open it, right? And I'll be all stressed out, like, Bethany, you think we should write a note to UPS and make sure that they'll leave the package because I don't want to miss my shea butter shipment coming in. And I knew that I had a problem. This is when it hit rock bottom. Is when I was excited to get a cardboard box filled with cardboard boxes. Because <laughs> I was getting the cardboard boxes for packaging my soap. And so I was like waiting for a cardboard box of cardboard boxes. And somebody goes, how lame can you get? Well, probably lamer than that. But in the midst of all of this and, and looking into the fragrances and all the fun stuff, uh, I was watching these videos, and I think we, we kind of talked about it in our video here about unboxing, and people would go on these reviews on YouTube. How many of you have seen an unboxing video, right? Somebody gets something, they, they open it up, and they're like, yeah, this package has packing peanuts, and don't eat them. <laughs> Everybody does that. It's an overused trope in the unboxing genre. And uh, they're like opening it up, and they're like, yeah, it has a plug-in, and it does this. And one of the greatest unboxing videos ever made is a young kid that this is back when the internet was kind of newer and we would YouTube was like a real sort of new thing for us and we'd find videos and one of them was this kid that would open up like uh, food items and he would be he would say yeah that's a definite buy so one of them this kid opened up a box of gushers he unboxes these gushers how many of you know what gushers are they're another good reason to be an adult right kids should not eat gushers they're basically drugs you know but for adults it's okay and they're like these plastic shells with this like Kool-Aid in them is basically what a gusher is, right? They're really good and uh, not good for you, really bad for you, really good to eat. And so this kid unboxes the gushers and he's like eating the gusher and he's like, you know, chipmunking right into it. And then he goes, oh, that's a definite buy. That's a definite buy. <laughs> so whenever Bethany and I find something we really enjoy, we go, yeah, it's a definite buy. That's a, that's a definite buy. <laughs> Unboxing is all about your experience of something and letting other people into that moment. And as we move into this season of Easter, we move towards Easter. A lot of people in culture in our city are, are uh, going to come to church on Easter. We're believing for that great harvest and all of that. But 
I want to talk about unboxing our faith and unboxing our knowledge and experience of God so that other people can experience and see him in and through our lives. And so we're starting this new series called Unboxing. Now, when I talk about this idea of evangelism, the word evangelism is kind of a scary word for a lot of people, myself included, because other than Sunday mornings where I have to pretend, I am actually an introvert. And so the idea of sort of stepping out of my comfort zone and engaging someone in a discussion about Jesus. Excuse me, sir, I'd like to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't give me goosebumps. It actually isn't my favorite thing to do. And I remember even growing up in church, we would go out Friday night. Sometimes we'd go out and we would evangelize and we would pass out flyers. We, we had some friends over at our house yesterday and they were uh, from Medford as well. And so we were talking about, remember when we would go out on Friday nights, we'd pass out flyers to invite people to our youth service called Outbreak, which you can't use that post-COVID. That isn't a good name for a youth group anymore, but <laughs> pre-pandemic, Outbreak was a good name, at least we thought. And, uh, and so we'd invite people. And I was like, I got to be honest with you, the only reason I even did that is because they would buy us pizza afterwards. And so I was not motivated by the Holy Spirit. I was motivated by pepperoni. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Anybody else, right? Man, I'll do a lot of things for pizza. You know, it's... Um, People always look at big guys like me and they go, hey, you want to help me move? And you're like, no, there's pizza. What kind? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, evangelism for many Christians is a cringe-worthy moment. It's It's a trigger word, but it really doesn't need to be because the reality is that if we look at evangelism as experiencing God's goodness and having such a revelation of that and an overflow of, of his goodness and his, his grace in our lives, the reality of the gospel as it impacts us, then the reality is evangelism should be one of the easiest things in the world to do. It'd be like trying to unbox gushers. How could you not say it's a buy? Because it just, it's so good. In Psalm chapter 34, it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Did you know that the first person you should ever worry about preaching the gospel to is yourself? And I mean this, seriously, every day we should look in the mirror and go, hey, you're looking good today. I like what you did with your hair. You know, you're looking, you're looking sharp. Have you lost weight? You know? No. Well, okay. But we should look ourselves in the mirror and we should remind ourselves about the goodness of God. Hey, did you, you know, you're saved. You're sanctified. You're set free. Jesus took you out of darkness and into light. He put you in his family. God loves you. He's for you. Come on, somebody. Like the goodness of God. I think one of the reasons why we as Christians struggle with evangelism is that we are not, we're not feeling it, we're not experiencing it, we're not overflowing with the goodness of God for ourselves. We aren't fully believing in the gospel, and so it feels like duty, it feels like discipline, and that you have to, and that God's mad at you if you don't tell somebody else about Jesus. But I would say, out of this series, what I would hope you would capture is, yeah, it is our job to share our faith, and yes, it is our job to be on mission in the world, But somebody needs to get evangelized every day, which is yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself and taste and see that the Lord is good. Evangelism shouldn't come from the scraps at the bottom of our spiritual life. Rather, it should flow from the abundance of God's goodness in our life. Let me say that again. Evangelism shouldn't come from the scraps at the bottom of our spiritual life. The scraps at the bottom of our spiritual life and why many Christians sort of have this tension about evangelism is because those scraps at the bottom are like, God's mad at me if I don't do this. I have to do this. This is sort of like, I'm supposed to, I ought to. And it's kind of a guilt-driven thing rather than a grace-driven thing where you're like, I'm just so excited about what God's doing in me that I can't shut up. 
You know, I know my family right now probably wishes I would shut up about soap. And I'm always like, smell it. Smell it. And, you know, it smells good, right? It really does. But after 19 or 20 episodes of smell this, it just it starts to go sideways. Come on, you know what I mean? But I'm excited about what I'm doing. I'm excited about this hobby. And I, and I found that when people get excited about Christ in them, the hope of glory, that something comes out almost unbidden and it's less a duty and more of a delight. And so we talk about unboxing. That's the whole idea. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus told his people, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your life is meant to be a lighthouse for the kingdom of God. Inviting people into fellowship with Jesus, inviting people into the safe harbor of salvation, inviting people from the dark, lonely, storm-tossed seas of life without Jesus and an eternity headed towards uh, uh, eternity without God and invite them into a relationship with Christ. But that's not possible if we ourselves, if it's not flowing out of us and that light on the inside of us. So that's the unboxing series what we're going to talk about. Today, I want to do some myth busting. How many of you remember the show Mythbusters, right? Those two dudes, and they'd be like, myth busted. Okay, we're going to do that today. So I'm going to give you some common myths, some common thoughts that I've either heard or maybe have even believed or said myself about evangelism and unpack this together. Number one, myth about evangelism. It's someone else's job. It's somebody else's job. Now, I think many Christians hear this word evangelism, and again, it's that cringe sort of, I'm an introvert, or I don't really want to do that, or I don't feel comfortable to do that. And so we kind of tune out, and the implication is we think evangelism is for somebody else. It's for a super spiritual Christian Navy SEAL. You know, I, I am uh, part of a family, the Schmelzer family. My parents have been pastors. They're going to transition in uh, two weeks. Uh, to my sister and her husband as the lead pastors of Joy Medford. They've been in ministry for 40 years. So I grew up in church family, pastor's family. All of my siblings are, are in ministry of some, some capacity, but we're very different. And my brother Gino and I are a little bit more reserved. You know, a lot of people don't even know Gino exists, but he's probably the best schmelzer, but he is a real person, you know, and Gino and I are a little bit more reserved. We're, you know, we're thinkers and, and so, so on and so forth. And then my sister Natalie and my brother Johnny, my youngest brother, are like superhuman Christians. They feel like if you know Johnny, he's like me, except for he's better than me in every way. Except for the fact that I'm taller and you'll never be taller, Johnny. You've already grown. But, you know, I got my degree in apologetics, got a master's degree. Johnny got like three. Uh, <laughs> One time I ran to the refrigerator, Johnny runs marathons, you know. Uh, I, I don't really want to talk to people, and Johnny's like, <laughs> this is a weird thing. Those of you that know Johnny, does he not go like this? If you go, Johnny, we're going to go evangelize today in the streets of Eugene, he would go like this. He'd be motivated, excited, and I'm like, I hate you, you know, so... In the back of my mind, there's people that are sort of like, this is how they're wired, that they're super Christians and they like it and, and they like socially awkward situations. And that might be the case, but it's really irrelevant to the point because actually it's not somebody else's job to share your faith. It's not someone else's job to share the hope you have in Christ. It's your job. 
And this is really clarified in Scripture. The Apostle Paul gives what I consider to be a masterclass in Ephesians chapter 4 about how the church is meant to operate and, and how it functions. And in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, Now Christ, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Paul is describing two categories here, and he's giving function and jobs, and this is the church. Now, in this passage, we see what's called the fivefold ministry. These are the fivefold ministry gifts the pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists. Their job is not necessarily to do the work of the ministry, it's to equip God's people to do that work. And that's why I say, as the pastor of Joy Church, I don't, I don't make disciples because I'm a pastor. I don't share my faith because I'm a pastor. I share my faith because I'm a Christian. I make disciples. I take the command of Christ to go into all the world and make disciples seriously, not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a disciple, because I'm a Christian. My job as a pastor is to equip pastoral ministry. My job as a teacher is to teach the word of God and equip God's people, but I'm also one of God's people. Now, just for the sake of clarity, I'd like us all to raise our hands. If you are God's people, could you raise your hand? Okay, and look around the room real quick. We are all God's people. So whose job is Paul saying it is to do this, to do this work of ministry? Oh, it's the minister's job. It's the pastor's job. No, 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 no. Their job is to equip. It's our job as God's people to build up the body of Christ, to do his work. And let's talk about what that means. Our job as Jesus followers is to build up the church, which means to add to the, to the quality of the church, but also to the quantity of the church. And what does that mean? Well, we need to be clear about what church is and what church isn't. In uh, uh, History at some point, we, we picked up this German word, Kirk, which is the word church, okay? And it tended to become associated with the building. So like today, we'll tell our kids, get up, brush your teeth, get dressed, you know, brush your hair. We're going to church. And we describe this experience, which does take place in a church building. I think it was easier for us to, to think through this when we didn't have a church building because we met at a movie theater, we met in a community center, sometimes we met in a park. And what we realized was that going to a church building is not the church. The church is us, God's people. In the scripture, Peter talks about the living stones, these bricks that are actually people that God is using and he's building a spiritual temple. So are we clear on the fact that the church is not a building? Okay, it is us. In the New Testament, the word that was used was this word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia literally means called out to gather. Peter talks about that we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were called out of, of being solitary and lonely and in our sins. We were called into family and brought into this thing we call church. The New Testament talks about the church this way. It says the church is the body of Christ. Also calls the church the bride of Christ. And the church is everybody that is a Christian, everybody that is called upon the name of the Lord. Now, that finds expression and tangible reality in our local church gatherings, which we do in physical spaces, okay? You get people that get really crazy about this stuff. They're like, well, you know, churches shouldn't have buildings. No, that's nonsense. Whether a church has or doesn't have a building is irrelevant to what they are. What matters about a church, though, is their function, okay? So as the church, when... Paul is talking about how, the, how a church should function. He says, you've got the fivefold. You've got these pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles. 
They're equipping God's people to build up the church, right, and do the work of the Lord. It's referencing the work of building people. You guys with me? Building people. Now, it's awesome when somebody volunteers to build a wall in the church or do some, we had some incredible contractors use their gifts to build our church building. That's awesome. But every one of us is a contractor in this process of building Christ's church in our community. We are establishing the outpost of heaven in our place. Are you with me? This is what the church is. And so when Paul says evangelists and their job is to equip, he's then referencing then downstream this job that every believer has, which is to evangelize, okay, is to build up the church. What is the work of Christ that he entrusted to the church? Well, he tells us himself in Luke 19.10, he says, for the son of man, that's a reference to him. He's referencing himself. This is a messianic term that his listeners would have understood. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is the ministry of evangelism. Somebody who is lost, they do not know Jesus. They're, they're, they need saving, and Jesus is here to save them. And another time he says, I'm like a physician, and I'm here to heal the sick. I came to, to get the people that don't have what I have, what I, what I want to give them. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I'm the worst of them all. How many of you go, yep, amen. <laughs> We're all in a race, Paul. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. These are very strong statements of purpose and intentionality and trajectory that Jesus had. And this is the work that was handed and entrusted to us, the church. And so when I look in the mirror and I go, oh, I'm one of God's people. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Maybe I don't feel like the spiritual Navy SEAL of Joy Church, but it is my assignment to build up both the quantity and quality of this gathering that I'm a part of, the family of God, the church. If evangelism is Christ's work and he gave it to the church, then it's our responsibility. Now, we have a, a problem that's occurred in our vernacular, our verbiage in the modern Christian church, which is that we have divided something that was always meant to be united. We have divided the words evangelism and discipleship. So what happens is, and this is how I grew up, and maybe you're not in this place, but this is where I kind of was, that when I heard the word discipleship, what I thought of was Christians helping other, other Christians be better Christians. So when I would think about discipleship, it'd be like, we get together, we sit in a circle, and you, know, you tell me that you, were, you did something wrong this week, and I said, well, I did too, and then we pray for each other, and I give you a verse, and we leave a little bit more like Jesus. You know, kind of like that idea of Christian discipleship. But actually, if we go back into the, the, the prototype here, in Matthew 28, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, he tells his gathered disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, into, uh, go and make disciples of all the nations. The word there in Greek is ethne, all ethnicities, all people. This is everybody in the world. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's something that is just plain common sense. When Jesus gave this command to go and make disciples, there weren't any Christians. you got to understand that 50 days or 40 days after Jesus ascends, he told his disciples, wait, because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And this is what we call Pentecost. And they're there in the upper room. And, it, and in that time and in that space, there were 120 disciples. 
120 people at the upper room in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. So when Jesus gives this command, go and make disciples, he's saying that discipleship is the same thing as evangelism. It's, it's one spectrum, okay? It's one spectrum. And so you, you don't get to separate and go, well, some people do evangelism and I do discipleship. You know, I've heard Christians say stuff like this. Well, other people go out, but I'm the person that helps people when they come in. Well, that's cool, except for you're not in charge. It'd be like going to work at McDonald's and you're like, well, I'm the fry guy. And your boss is like, you're the burger flipper. And you're like, I'm taking my time and my talents to Wendy's where they appreciate what I can do. Like you might be an elite fry maker, but if the boss says you're flipping burgers and you want to get paid, you flip burgers. And Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is the one that said, hey, some of you are like Jake are awkward in public. I, I, I ran into somebody that I know, that I've known for years recently, and I was awkward in public. And I, Bethany and I were there, and I was like, I wasn't dressed how I wanted to be dressed, and my hair was messy, and I was like trying to be in disguise, you know, whatever, and I think I had a beanie on. I don't even wear beanies. It's a teeny, weeny, beanie. <laughs> All the Gen Z are like, yeah, I know I do so. Anyways. I run into somebody that I've known for years, and I was so awkward, and I thought, what is wrong with me? And then all day I felt bad about it, you know, because I'm like, why do I act like this? You know, what is wrong with me? And when Jesus was looking down and going, here's the mission, here's the assignment, here's what I've called you to do, he didn't take my inadequacies into account. That's so insensitive of him. (laughs) He said, you're called, you're appointed, you're anointed. You're going to do it, and my grace is sufficient for you. That's like not an American teaching. You know, Americans, we're like, no, 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 I want to do it my way, the Frank Sinatra way. You know, I did it my way, and Jesus is like, then hit the highway. <laughs> but he's a better singer. You know, he just, he can hit the high notes. We don't get to pick and choose. So let's bust this myth. It's not somebody else's job. It's my job. The burden of evangelism, to do what William Booth said, to hear the the burden cry of people that are going into an eternity without God. I don't get to ignore that. I don't get to try to do theological wrangling and say, well, I'm the disciple maker. I'm in the church and I just hang out in the four walls. No, you're called to go out. You're a missionary in your city. Discipleship starts with people that don't know Jesus and it keeps going until we're in the full perfect image of Christ. And we don't get to pick and choose. It is not somebody else's job. It's my job. And knowing that then allows me to get serious about doing what Christ called me to do and equipped me to do and get to experience the joy of unboxing the goodness of God and seeing people come to Jesus through my life. But it starts with letting go of the fear and the lies about it. Number two, myth. Nobody's open. Nobody cares. Have you, have you thought in our culture today, like, man, stuff is just crazy. Stuff's crazy. People are crazy. You know, and, and, and I want to tell people stories about, like, naked people in a garden and a talking snake. You know, people are, like, confused about things, and they're mad about politics, and there's wars. And I come, and I'm like, yeah, I believe this book that's thousands of years old. It's obscure. It wasn't even written in our language. And there's this guy, Jesus, and he died on a cross, and he rose from the dead. And they're like, what's a creed? I'm like, I don't know. It's a movie with this guy that boxes. And there's all this, like, stuff that, that kind of feels like an obstacle, and I can feel, at least I do, man, nobody cares. Nobody's open to the gospel. But here's the reality, and I'm just going to go into some statistics. 
Dr. Tom Rainer, in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, he said 82% of the unchurched, 8 out of 10, are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. They did a survey, a big survey nationwide. And in this big survey, they said, okay, if a friend invited you to church, would you be interested? Would you go? And 8 out of 10 people said yes. But here's what they also found. Only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 2%. Uh, 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. Which just means we're not losing the battle of evangelism because we don't know what to say, because the world's not open, they're so caught up in their stuff. No, we're actually losing it because we don't show up to play. We don't show up to play. You hear what I'm saying? You forfeit the game. Why would you forfeit your neighborhood and not share your faith in Christ as his goodness is unpacked in your life? That's the issue. It's not that nobody's open. A Lifeway research survey from 2022 said this, that around two-thirds of Americans say that they're open to different types of spiritual conversations with a friend. Two out of three, 66% say they're at least open to having a conversation about faith with a friend, including 41% who say they are very open. Similarly, 66% of Americans are at least open to specifically discussing, 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 <laughs> discussing the Christian faith with a friend. Okay, this is just numbers. I know statistics can be moved to say different things. But I found this to be interesting because this was a survey from last year. And it's, again, one of those nationwide surveys. And yes, are numbers different in Oregon than they are in Alabama? Probably. But you know what? Roughly, generally, people actually will have a conversation with their friends about the Christian faith. And again, it's not that people are just closed off. It's that we don't talk. We don't ask. We don't engage, right? We... we I think as American Christians have embraced the, being the cultural majority, uh, historically in our nation, we've been a cultural majority, whether people were nominal or real authentic New Testament Christians, is up for debate, but there was at least a moral, ethical, sort of philosophical Judeo-Christian worldview heritage, this sort of umbrella, and so we sort of took this posture of the, the majority, and now, even statistically and in the research, it is that we are the minority, and so if we don't learn to articulate our faith and actually engage with people then we won't see our mission move forward. We've got to tell people about the thing that is in us, the hope that is in us. So people aren't open. No, it's a, it's a myth. People actually are open. People are lonely. People are desperate. People are living in fear. You know, if you turn on the news and it's like, what, what kind of balloon flew over today? You know, and how, what do I need to worry about? Did a train crash in my backyard? You know, I don't know if anybody else reads the news, but it's like, what's going on? There's a lot of fear and a lot of shaking in our world, and those are opportunities to connect people with hope, which we carry in us. Okay, I'm going to get a little bit more incendiary in this next one. This is a fun one. Here's a myth about evangelism. People, lost people, or people that aren't Christians, they're, they're okay with Jesus, but it's Christians and the church that are the problem. This is something I'm hearing constantly, and it really ticks me off. It ticks me off so much. So I'm going to do my best to preach with grace and not anger. Because what I see so many Christians doing is shooting holes in their own boat. The boat that you're in, the church, is the plan of Jesus. It's not a man-made idea. Do human beings screw it up sometimes? Yes. Have people been hurt by the church? Has, has people, have people said dumb stuff in church? Have, has 
Have people in church history ever mistreated other people? Yes. Have people mistreated other people in secular institutions? Yes. The common denominator is people. And the Bible says, expect that other people are going to mess up your life to some level. They're going to interrupt your fun. Come on. And so what we do, though, is we, we, we make a false equivalency and we say, well, if I've been hurt in church, that invalidates the message. No. It's like saying that, well, I was divorced, so that means marriage is a broken institution. No, your marriage might have been broken, but marriage is still God's idea for human beings to express sexuality and commitment. Well, mine didn't work out or I, whatever. No, it's the institution is fine. It's, it's how we operate within it. And so as Christians, do we need to have humility? Yes. Do we need to not be judgmental, walk in judgmentalism? Yes. Have people been hurt by that? Yes. But this idea that sort of the church needs to change or whatever is actually very arrogant and it's spitting in God's face for the institution he put on planet earth to bring hope and change and restoration. Where does somebody go when they give their life to Jesus? Do they go to your spiritual delusional camp where they live in la-la land? I'll tell you where people go. People get planted into families, and those families are actually tangible places where real people that are flawed and different colors and different socioeconomic classes and different politics and everything gather together and work on loving each other and helping each other follow Jesus. And so we have this generation that's deconstructing everything and just blowing holes in the boat that is carrying us to safety without any concern or consideration. G.K. Chesterton said, don't tear down a fence until you find out why it was put up in the first place. Yet, to go on social media and see even people that call themselves pastors ripping apart the bride of Christ and thinking, how is this going to be good for anyone if I tear down Jesus' bride? Remember, that's a picture of the church, right? The bride of Christ, the body of Christ. If I go body blows against Jesus, how is that going to work out good for me or anybody else? And then we have secular culture also antagonistic towards church. But listen, this concept that people, well, people are good with Jesus. Like if everybody would just look at Jesus then it would all be fine, but it's these Christians that get in the way. What this actually does is it invalidates our responsibility to step up as flawed witnesses and be witnesses. You see, Jesus didn't say, when you're perfect and your character's perfect and everything about your life is great and you look like a, a, you know, a white Mormon girl on Instagram, then you can be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's not what it says. In fact, it says something different. It says, we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. We're cracked. We're kintsugi. Come on, somebody. We talked about that last week, right? We're broken and Jesus is doing a work in us and in the process of our healing and in the process of our sanctification and in the process of what Jesus is doing in us, we're supposed to shout very loudly that he is the answer. And if we don't shout, then we're covering our light. If we don't shout, we're not, we're not fulfilling the job that we have as followers of Christ. So this idea, it's a, it's a little, it's a little uh, lie that comes in and poisons our, our process here. And Jesus directly identifies this. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Can I tell you something? People actually do have a problem with Jesus. He goes on. He says, The world would love you as one of its own if, it belo if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. In John 3, right after he gives the most famous verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Woo! We all know it. Well, then Jesus, two verses later, just go, goes hardcore. This is what he says. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. 
Well, that's so exclusive and intolerant. Yeah, that's Jesus. Jesus is not easy to love. I'm just going to be honest with you. We, we love the social justice Jesus. We love the Jesus that we make when we look in the mirror and we conform him to our image. The Jesus that demands we die to ourselves every day. The one that interrupts my perfect plan for my life and wants me to suffer to get glory. The Jesus that calls me to worship the Father and lay down every aspect of my identity, whether I was born that way or not. That Jesus, he's hard to love. Some of you are very uncomfortable right now. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. When Jesus showed up, God was like, flashlight, this is is it. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for for fear their sins will be exposed. So yeah, do people get turned off by Christians who are, you know, walking in judgmentalism or hypocrisy? Yes. But this idea that, oh, it's just church people and it's the Christians need to be better at relating to lost people. No, Christians need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and preach the real gospel. You see, when we're worried about how we look, then what we're doing is we're preaching the gospel of who I am versus the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the light came into the world. And all of us have to come to the foot of the cross and lay down and say, my God, Lord of me, God of me, where else would I go? Who has the words of life? I don't preach the gospel of Jake. If you think you can look at my life and get the gospel, I I hope you get some of it. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. But my goodness, I would hope that my life would point you to Jesus. And that's what evangelism is about. That's what discipleship is about. And so this idea well, like the church is the problem and we need to get better at the way we communicate. Well, sure, let's get better at how we communicate. But ultimately what Jesus said is the real reason people don't respond to the gospel is because they like darkness and they don't want the light to get shined. And what that has to lead us to in our evangelism, in our witness, in our discipleship is that we are in a spiritual battle. There is deception. There is an enemy that is poisoning the minds of people and we need to pray for people. We need to speak truth and we need to not make too many assumptions or make too many concessions and continue to preach the real gospel to ourselves and to other people. We need to listen and be used by the Holy Spirit. Myth busted. Next one, evangelism means having all the answers. Again, this is kind of going back to that. There's the really experienced people that are really smart. They know how to talk to people. I don't know how to do that. Well, Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, Always be ready to explain it. So no, you don't need to have all the answers. But you do need to have some of the answers. Let me tell you a couple answers I think you need to have. Why are you a Christian? Why? Not how did you become a Christian? Oh, I was 19 and I went to this church. No, no, no. Why are you a Christian? Why aren't you a Buddhist? Why aren't you an atheist? Why aren't you something else? Why are you a Christian? That needs to be something we can articulate and say. at Like a drop of a hat. How has Jesus changed your life specifically? You know, if somebody says to me, hey, you should go to Billy Bob's barbecue, be like, cool, I like barbecue, but like, why should I go to Billy Bob's? Well, they serve food there. Okay, great. All the other restaurants do too. So why should I go there? So what has Jesus done for you specifically? What is the differentiating factor? 
What has he done in your life? And what this leads to is testimony, telling your story, expressing God's goodness, unboxing, okay? How has Jesus changed your life specifically? And then third, why do you have hope and what is it? See, one of the things that creates contrast in a world where people are very used to sort of living in cognitive dissonance is where you don't talk about, uh, you know, my ism versus your ism, but where you talk about the fact that you have hope. And this is where a lot of Christians, they don't even understand the gospel. See, the gospel is not a story about how to become a better person. The gospel is about dead people becoming alive. So we look at the gospel and we go, well, the gospel helps me do better things. Well, that, that, that's sort of secondary to the fact that you were dead in your sins and now you're alive in Christ. And when you physically die or Jesus comes back, you will have everlasting life. The gospel is about resurrection life. So that's the hope. That is a different hope than any other ism or philosophy or whatever offers, any other worldview or perspective or whatever. That's hope. Why do I have hope? And what is that hope? And if we can articulate these things, it's tremendously powerful. So we don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to figure out how to argue with the really angry atheist. Like, I'm not saying that there isn't good answers to their questions or their challenges. There probably are, and I know there are. Most of the time, the angry atheist is emotionally upset, and they're pretending to be intellectual in order to not deal with the actual root issues, which is they had a bad experience. They have daddy issues and wounds, and they don't or they, most of it's connected to sex. Most people just want to say, well, I want to have sex with who I want to have sex with, so there's no God. Well, you can put a lot of fancy stuff on there, but you can also put lipstick on a pig, and at the end of the day, it's still a pig. So at the end of the day, what most of us deal with is the fact that we want to do what we want to do, and there is a God who says, well, actually, um, I've, I have a moral law, and, and this is what is okay. All right, you with me? I'm going fast. Okay, we're going to get done in one minute. Last myth, evangelism happens exclusively by example. This is something that growing up, I would, I would really get this kind of sense of this, that like people would say, I'd go to youth conferences and they'd be like, oh man, like you don't even have to say anything. <laughs> just like as you're going out in the streets, people will just like see Christ in you. <laughs> it's like sweet, Chad, <laughs> you know, oh man. And then as I go out into the city, people are like, I don't see Christ in you. Like I saw you flipping me off on the belt line, you know. As I go out in the streets and I'm insecure about, you know, what I look like and I'm an introvert and I'm trying to hide and wear a beanie even though I don't wear beanies, but I did that one day. Man, life mistakes. People aren't like seeing Jesus. In fact, I've never had somebody come up and be like, you know what, something different about you. Actually, I, I'll take that back. One time that happened. One time in my entire life, 38 years walking with Jesus. One time. Every other time, I had to say something. I had to say something. So this idea that evangelism happens exclusively by example, I think it's a cop-out based on a half-truth. Because yes, example matters. Loving people, being a good person, following Jesus and living your life that way, treating people with kindness, grace, and love, intentionally building relationships, being somebody that serves your community, uh, giving, loving people, absolutely. But no, that doesn't invalidate speaking up, speaking out, and speaking clearly. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call, this is re referencing lost people, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Don't you hate common sense? Like, it's so ruthless. 
Because I just want to believe like something magical will happen as I just go about my business and people will come to Christ. Actually, here's the reality. We live in a culture that has so much noise and nonsense and deception and you've got false teachers and pastors like given this weird deconstruction gospel that's leading people to hell and you have like the secular world, you know, flying their freaky flag and like going to hell and we have all these silent Christians trying to be goody two-shoes thinking that if you go to the bathroom at their house and read a Precious Moments plaque in their bathroom that somehow that is going to win the cultural war and actually rob hell and populate heaven and I'm just here to tell you we actually need to get a little bit radical and a little bit raw and say you know what yeah I'm an introvert but it's my job because Jesus wrecked my life he saved me out of darkness and God's goodness is in me and I gotta say something and I gotta tell somebody And I can't sit silently and just expect that somebody's going to catch like a precious moment by my aura or whatever that even means. But I actually have to engage in the cultural dialogue and maybe on social media get a little bit uncomfortable and tell somebody about Jesus at some point in my life. Are you with me? I mean, I don't care. I'm not passionate, but you guys maybe. How can they hear unless somebody tells them? And I get provoked all the time. I was at the grocery store the other day and I'm trying to hide. I, I do this, you guys. You think I'm joking. I don't. It's not. It's, it's true. I'm a very vulnerable preacher. Like I, I'm, I don't like to be noticed in public. And so I'm at the grocery store and definitely had organic vegetables and not ice cream or something. It was organic vegetables. And I'm checking out and I made like an offhanded comment. And Jesus always does this to me. He always does it to me. So I'm standing there. And I'm like checking out, you know, and trying to like, don't talk to me. And this lady is like helping me out, check, check it out or whatever. And, and uh, I made a comment about math, like a stupid dad joke. All of a sudden she's like, yeah, I'm raising my grandson. And it goes in this whole story. And, and I realized, Jesus, you are like so obsessed and loving everybody that you will put me in the most uncomfortable situations where I have to tell people about you. And you know, sometimes I don't. And Jesus doesn't strike me dead and he doesn't stop loving me because my obedience does not change his, how he feels about me, okay? But when I walk away from opportunities to share Christ and I don't and I know he set it up, he put that ball right there and I'm just supposed to take a swing whether I do it good or bad, I feel sad because I realize what if that was my daughter, what if that was my grandma, what if that was my friend, what if that was that somebody, somebody, and I have hope. They don't have hope. Maybe they do. Maybe that's a Christian and you have a great conversation about K-Love and NLT Bibles. I don't know, you know. Those are the ones I really don't want, you know. Do you love the new Casting Crowns record? I, I love Christian music. Anyways, you know what I love? I love my family and God loves his family. And a lot of his family are in broken relationship with him. And so I just want to say once more into the fray, Christian soldier, once more into the fray. We need a new crop, a new breed, a new generation of sold-out radical evangelists. Oh, because we're, we have the gift of evangelism? No, because you have the gift of obedience to say, Jesus, you said this is my job. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake... I'm not a Christian. I need to be a Christian. I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm just telling you right now, the gospel is so good. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, and he calls us to repent, give him our lives, to follow him as 
his disciple. He wants to give you all of his goodness, his grace, his glory, pour right into your life. And right now you can make a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Anybody here today, Pastor Jake, I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Come on, anybody else in this room? Come on, thank you, thank you. Awesome, thank you, so good. Come on, anybody else? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anybody else? I want to give opportunity. Anybody else? I want to put my faith in Christ today. A lot of people today, that's so great. Okay, let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. We're all going to pray together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Paying for my sin. And making me right with God. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace to follow you as your disciple. In Jesus' name, amen.